Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. And if you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the Premier, you can phone or text. A big reminder, please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. We already have a full slate on the phone lines. We've got a lot of texts in already. Premier Smith, ready and waiting to hear from you today. Premier Smith, welcome back to the studio. Well, I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much for having me today, Wayne. All right. I've got my usual few questions before we get to those phone and text lines. First, of course, can't ignore it. The big win for Alberta from the Supreme Court. Five out of seven judges found that most of the Federal Impact Assessment Act was unconstitutional. You responded at a news conference yesterday, so I'm not going to rehash all of it. But the judge's decision still doesn't mean that Alberta uh, has carte blanche to do what it wants. There are still some rules that have to be followed. Now, you've had a bit more time to digest the ruling between yesterday and this morning, does it provide more clarity on that federal provincial jurisdiction or is there still a gray area? And the reason I ask, the reason I ask is that your favorite guy, Federal Environment Minister Stephen Guibault, says the ruling does not strike down the law and won't change how federal assessments will be conducted. And both he and Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson say the act just needs some fine-tuning. <laughs> it was a total loss for the federal government because they were trying to intervene in provincial jurisdiction and create a regulatory environment where every industrial project within the borders of Alberta that we have historically been able to have approval over, they sought through that legislation to interfere and take that over. And the court said, you can't do that. Anything that was in, uh, in, in provincial borders belongs to the provincial government under our constitution to develop our natural resources and our electricity. Now, that being said, we know we have to work on uh, environmental issues together. Uh, we always have. We have to work on water issues. We have to work on emissions issues. We have to work on species at risk protection. We have to work on First Nations uh, uh, consultation. We accept all of that. But what we don't accept is the kind of uh, regulatory uncertainty that this government has created for so long. The broad brush approach. Because when you don't know a pathway as an investor, who do I go to to get a decision making? If I get a decision making over here, is it going to hold up over there? How long is it going to take? When, when, when uh, Text Frontier Mine faced that kind of regulatory uncertainty on a $20 billion project, they pulled the plug. They said well, they just couldn't see a pathway to how this would be approved. So how many more multi-billion dollar projects either didn't get off the ground or got shelved because of the uh, federal government inserting itself into our process. Like, hey, look, I have said I will work with the federal government. I have told Trudeau we're going to work together on uh, a 2050 emissions target. We set up a working group. I developed an emissions reduction plan. We did our emission abatement curves. I've been very constructive. I am just asking for the federal government to stop passing univer un uh, unilateral declarations in our areas of jurisdiction because we're going to fight them back every single time. And the Supreme Court supported that. Yes. All right. Earlier this week, Calgary Liberal MP George Shahal says your government's Tell the Feds ad campaign amounts to, quote, politically motivated misinformation, unquote. Now, Shahal says... Ottawa's clean energy regulations do provide for some flexibilities that would allow Alberta to continue with natural gas power regulation past 2035. Are those flexibilities there? No, they're not there. And let me tell you two reasons why. Because what they're saying is that by 2035, natural gas has to have emissions abatement technology that will abate 95% of emissions. Current technology allows us to abate 65% of emissions, which is pretty good. The um, industry thinks we might get to 80%, which is pretty darn good. But um, if you are not at 95% by 2035, their provision allows for the government to start arresting 
the heads of companies who aren't at that level of emissions. That and, is and not Chahal flexibility. Said, Chahal said there's no way that's going to happen, that that's not Oh, there. come on. It's, it's on their website. It talks about criminal law powers. It talks about imprisonment. It talks about fines. So they can't say trust us because, quite frankly, I don't trust them because they behaved illegally for the past six years, interfering in our jurisdiction, and it took us fighting at the Supreme Court level for six years before it was they were called out on it. We're just not going to let that happen. No. The second part is that in our environment, when we have solar and wind that comes on stream in an intermittent way, we always have to have a backup. And our backup is natural gas peaker plants. They want those plants to be limited to only be allowed to operate 450 hours a year. I talk to folks who operate these plants. They say a minimum of 2,000 hours is necessary. So we can't be in a situation where we get to 450 hours of usage by January third, the third week of January, and they have to turn it off because then we'll end up with blackouts. Or in the summer, if they've already used up their allocation because of winter and we end up with 30 degrees and they're not able to offset if uh, the w wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, or the, if the wind isn't blowing for air conditioning and they have to shut that off. When you have minus 30 and plus 30 weather and you can't turn on your furnace and you can't turn on your air conditioning, People die. People die of, 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 of heat stroke all the time. And the number of deaths that happen in winter as a result of, of, uh, of, ex of supreme cold are also high. We can't allow that to happen. We won't allow that to happen. So um, with due respect to George Chahal, he doesn't understand electricity. He doesn't understand our market. And that is precisely the reason why the federal government should not be regulating in this area. I've been studying it since 1999. So I will put my knowledge up on this up against George Chahal any day of the week. Now, Chahal has also called on the province to release a study that it commissioned back in January on the implications of moving to a clean grid by 2035. Where are we on that study? Well, uh, we've released it. I mean, we talked about it during the campaign. The ISO has said it would cost $52 billion additional to try to compress all of that spending to 20 in addition to the $90 billion we would already spend on so being able is, to upgrade the this grid. this is ISO's information, though. Alberta is Electric it? System Operator, they've been yeah. very clear. The, uh, there's also been an additional work that has been done by the public policy group at the federal level that has said that it's $1.7 trillion, and most of that, and uh, the 25% of that cost would come on us. So that's a, a, you know that's $400 billion. Okay. So the, the, the data is out there, and that's the reason why we know for certain 2035 it's unachievable, and we're just not going to do it. All right, one final question before we hit the phone lines. Yesterday on X, I guess that's the new name for what used to be Twitter, David Parker, the executive director of Take Back Alberta, made this post, quote, Dear leadership of Alberta Health Services, we are coming for you and we will not rest until your evil communist ideology is eradicated from the face of this province, unquote. Now, after that post, David Shepard, who is the NDP health critic for primary and rural care in Alberta, issued this statement. Quote, I'm deeply concerned by the threats made by David Parker of Take Back Alberta towards the Albertans who work to keep our hospitals open and our ambulances on the road. Parker is a hateful extremist and a close friend and ally of Danielle Smith. He claims the credit for Smith's premiership. His organization claims to hold half the seats on the United Conservative Party's board and that they aim to take the other half. As elected officials, we must speak out against this kind of hateful language. Danielle Smith must immediately denounce David Parker's threats and attempts at intimidation of health care workers. She must tell Albertans if the hateful extremism of Take Back Alberta has indeed set up shop 
in the Premier's office, unquote. Your response, Premier Smith. You know, I'm my own person. I think people know that. I think people know that I, I, I consult widely and broadly. I listen to Albertans. I listen to stakeholders. I am not controlled by any one person. I am not controlled by an advocacy group. In fact, you know, I guess I would have preferred for David Shepard to call out QP Ontario and the hateful comments that they'd made this week when Hamas perpetrated a terrible terrorist attack against Israel. No, and remember, QP Alberta is intertwined with the uh, with the NDP. QP Alberta has a very prominent member in their communications that is married to to their current leader. QP Alberta ran distasteful misinformation ads against my party and sure. me all through the campaign, and yet I, I I would like to see them distance themselves from the hateful comments that is being made by their Ontario counterpart. If that's the kind of game that we're going to get into, then I think they have a lot more to answer for. What about your response to uh, Parker's uh, post on X. You know what? There's lots of posts on X from lots of people. I think that uh, they should go and respond and ask David Parker what he means himself. I, I'm too busy to monitor every single post from every single person um, on Twitter. It's, it's. I listen to Albertans. I take my, my advice from my caucus, from my cabinet, and we're moving forward with governing Alberta. I think that this little game that everybody is playing, it sounds like junior high school. Um, I'm not interested. So let's uh, elevate the conversation and let's talk about real issues. All right, let's get to the phones. We'll take one quick call here before we go to break. Uh, Barbara has been hanging on, uh, calling in from Lethbridge. Good morning, Barbara. You're on with Premier Smith. Thank you. I just want you to know that the telephone line is very, very dim. You can hardly hear what's going on. Um, premier Smith, thank you for being our Premier. I have a question with regard. I just wanted some uh, brief information about the federal civil, um, uh, uh, case that is going forward by Grey Woke Spencer on the um, unvaccinated um, and the impact that it was on them. There was to be a provincial class action also, and you did make comments at one stage with regard to people getting their jobs back in Alberta, and I have seen nothing to date. And so I'm wondering what the province is doing with regard to that. Well, I can tell you that um, the our caucus, our cabinet, made a decision to rescind vaccine mandates on Alberta Health Services workers and all provincial employees um, some time ago. I think that was back in February of 2022, 2021. It was before I became uh, became premier. So we have already normalized that and invited people back to work. Incidentally, they haven't in British Columbia. In British Columbia, they still have vaccine mandates on their healthcare workers, which is why we're saying come to Alberta because uh, we are, we're going to make sure that anybody is able to work in our system if they've got the competency to do so. When it comes to private sector, um, I have encouraged the, the private sector to end ma vaccine mandates as well. And I, I think most of them have. I haven't heard any stories recently of them not doing so. Most people that I have talked to who did lose their jobs did so temporarily and were able to get hired back so I'm I'm not hearing of, of any uh, any large number of cases that uh, that warrant the, the provincial government stepping in I think I've made our, our points very clear on this that that we believe that um, it's a choice and people who uh, want to protect themselves with masks or with vaccines should choose to do that but we're just not going to put mandates on people and I, I would hope that our leadership at the provincial level would cause others to, to follow suit all right we're going to pause for a break I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. 
If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard Saturday mornings for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chat, right here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Right to the phones, uh, Chris calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Chris. You're on with Premier Smith. Well, good morning. Could you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah. Um, good morning, Madam uh, Premier. Um, I'd like to address the uh, critical shortage of family doctors in the province and and uh, I was speaking to a um, family office uh, administrator yesterday, and she mentioned that there's 40 residency spots that didn't get filled. Um, their clinics can't find family doctors. Their doctors are retiring, they're getting burnt out, and they can't spend the amount of time on medicine because they've got too much administration and paperwork to take care of. And they need help from the government to recruit and re- retain and induce doctors um, coming out of medical schools and otherwise into family practice. So could you please um, please help uh, these clinics that are looking to uh, recruit family doctors? Uh, as we know, you know, and I think you've commented on before, if we... If, if we address the pressures at this point, then we alleviate the pressures in emerges and um, and um, I'd just like to have you address what the government is doing right now to uh, recruit and induce and retain family docs. It's, uh, you've identified the nature of the problem that we're facing perfectly. One of the issues I can tell you has happened is that even though we've got 5,500 primary care uh, doctors in the province, there's only about 2,500 of them that are doing family practice. So what are the others doing? Well, they're hospitalists or they're physician assistants. And that's, I guess, the the nature of how the job has changed, that there's a lot of primary care doctors who just simply are not going to run 1,500 patient practices like they did in the old days uh, because there's so many more things that they can be doing. So there's a few things that we're doing to address it, and you'll you'll see a lot more about this uh, in the middle of the month, or actually very soon. I think October 18th, um, we're finally releasing our um, modernizing Alberta's primary care system, and so uh, Adriana LaGrange will have a lot more to say about it then. But the way I would encourage you to look at this is that we need to be moving to a team practice so that everybody has access to a primary care practitioner. And that can be a combination of pharmacy for a certain portion of your your, uh, of, the, of your needs. I know that in my own riding in Brooks, we've opened up a couple of rooms so that they could do more primary care type of work on, uh, on site. Uh, nurse practitioners, we just signed our first nurse practitioners collective bargaining agreement with Alberta Health Services. So nurse practitioners are going to play a much higher role. They're they're trained to a similar level to uh, to primary doctors, not quite uh, across the board, but a very similar level. We're also going to be uh, looking at how we can attract more doctors here. One thing that we've done is allowed for automatic uh, recognition of credentials if you've if you're in good standing in another province. Uh, we're also reaching abroad internationally to attract people here and have a fast track process to get them approved. And we want to start training more doctors in primary care in a rural setting because that I think is going to also 
uh, ensure that when people get trained in a rural community, they'll likely stay in a rural community where we have a lot of challenges. So so just be a, a little bit more patient. We identified all of these problems over the course of the last year. We, we were just uh, finalizing the approach that we want to take for how we're going to, to roll it out. But we'll be, we'll be addressing all of these things. And you're so right. If you don't have a family doctor, all roads lead to an emergency room. And we've got to make sure that uh, that first care level of care is available to every single Albertan. That's our objective. A lot of health care questions on the phone and text lines. Here's a uh, text line. And you, and you had mentioned the word modernize. So here I want to uh, read this text. Good morning, Premier. I send this text in every weekend, but it never gets through. Why can't we figure out how to modernize our health care card? Now, I have a plastic one with an optional digital one through my Alberta ID that I can add to my wallet on my phone. There are only two provinces that can't seem to move past this paper nightmare. Uh, the texter says, I've taken a picture of mine, a picture of, picture of mine and added to my phone. I've had it that way for the past four years and I've never been questioned for the original. I feel we need to get this moved into the modern age of being, instead of being stuck in the 70s. Yes. I totally agree. Dale Nally's the man for the job. He's our Service Alberta Red Tape Reduction Minister, and he's got a lot of projects that he's working on. For instance, I mean, I've put him in charge of land titles because we were having a 110-day delay on getting to uh, getting titles transferred. We're down to 23 days. So he's a guy who can uh, make things move. He's also going to be uh, working on streamlining a whole pile of, of red tape uh, initiatives. So I will accelerate this on his radar screen. I know that it's been talked about for some time, and everyone agrees. I don't think there's a sing. I don't think you will f- find a single disagreement that we need to get rid of those paper cards. So we'll uh, we'll see what 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 the barriers are, and hopefully we'll have an announcement for you soon. All right, Don is calling in from Edmonton with another healthcare question. Go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi, Daniel. Uh, Premier Smith, uh, Wayne. Um, um sorry <laughs> about that delay. Um, um. A, a trained dog can sniff out cancer years before the medical system can detect it. Um, and also the other thing they found is that uh, heavy metals, uh, there was a 10-year independent study that was just done, can show that the biggest cause of cancer and heart disease and all the rest of it is, is heavy metals in the food. So that's one question. The other one you don't have to answer. I'll just <laughs> make a statement. So uh, about a week ago, there was an elderly man in Edmonton working in his backyard, got arrested, taken downtown, and they held him for about eight hours. And the uh, they turned him out at midnight and gave him a bus ticket. Of course, there's no buses running or whatever. He had to walk four and a half hours home. I One, I consider that elderly abuse because he's almost 70. And the other thing is, in the United States, that would be a $3 million lawsuit, no questions asked. Um, anyway, but the health care system is there is it possible that we could actually take and like move away from the, the the modern concept of of medicine and speed up the process like there was one lady she could actually her husband was a surgeon he could she could smell she noticed the smell changing and when she went to the meeting for parkinson's people she noticed that they all smelt the same and now they have a simple swab test they can just swab their skin and they can tell whether they're coming down with parkinson's so is there any way that if people wanted the choice they could move away from our current structured medicine when we always wait until it's too late and it's a crisis to get get things changed ahead of time 
Well, you know, it's a great idea. And I, I think what you're going to see, because we, we, we know that we have to have um, a, a realignment of decision making so that we have the ability to pursue more of those ideas. So that is, is part of our decentralization and restructuring of AHS, which will be coming before the end of the year as well. And that will allow for us to be able to, to try pilot projects. That's one of the things I've always felt in government is let's try a few things. Let's see what works. And if it works, then let's expand it. So I, I've made a note of that. And so I'll, uh, I'll make sure that uh, that our health minister, Adriana LaGrange, is aware that trying to create an environment so that we can have that kind of creativity is really important. I should mention for anybody who does have a creative idea, we do have an unsolicited bid process that you can put forward an idea through our, our website and propose uh, how you might do something differently. And then we give that due consideration. And, and uh, from time to time, we, we adopt that idea because it just, it comes, it's, I know that we don't have all the best ideas in, in government. There's a lot of great ideas in the nonprofit sector, the private sector. So if you know somebody who wants to pioneer that, tell them to put in a, a proposal and we'll see what we can do to get a pilot project going. All right. Uh, a few text and phone calls on the Alberta pension plan. Now, this morning, uh, Kevin Usselman on the Alberta Morning News uh, conducted a bit of a straw poll. And he said, uh, when it comes to the proposed Alberta pension plan, are you in, are you out, or do you want more information before making a decision? Now, the results of that poll on uh, Kevin's show 168 text messages between uh, 620 and 8.30. 33% stated they're in, in other words, yes, to Alberta Pension Plan. 37% stated they're out, meaning leave things alone. 30% said, hey, we need more information before passing judgment. Can't and also can't believe that Alberta will get more than 50% of the cash currently in the CPP. So your thoughts on the straw poll? Well, number, I mean, uh, uh, that's part of the reason we had to put the the the, uh, the paper out so that people knew just how much we were entitled to. Uh, and it should be pretty shocking to the rest of the country, and it should be shocking to Albertans that not only have we overpaid and continue to overpay, but all of those dollars get invested and compounded. And as a result, under their formula, we'd be entitled to 53% of the assets. Uh, so that, I think, is, uh, is it, it's, it's an indicator to Albertans just how unfairly we are treated. And I can tell you every single federal program is structured the same way where we overpay and then we get less back than we put in. The, um, but as for them, the, 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 uh, the structure of it, it the, uh, um, how, how it might end up working out, there's a certain portion that could be used to reduce premiums, certain portion that could be used to enhance the, the benefits, we're, we have asked Jim Dinning, Moin Yaya, and, um, and uh, Mary, oh my goodness, um, we, <laughs> the person who used to be on this head of the CPPIB board, sorry, I've forgotten her name, three-person panel that is going to be doing a broad-based consultation. We're starting with five telephone town halls so that people can give their feedback. And right. Now, that's starting on Monday, but there's no planned in-person engagements, as I understand. Yeah, we. I mean, we got, I think, 300,000 people that participated in our in-person engagements before. And I think uh, the chairman made the decision we'd be able to reach more people through the telephone town halls. We don't want to have any barriers. We don't want people feeling like they have to drive for hours to get somewhere. Sometimes it's not convenient to be able to drop everything and come out for an evening, but it's uh, being able to be on a, a telephone town hall. We think we'll get more feedback on it. Text message says, you claim to listen, but we told you no to APP and yet you continue to shove it in our face. So I guess, you know, you know, the response to that would be 
Kevin Usselman's straw poll this morning. Uh, we're essentially all, a, thir- we're... a third are opposed, a third are in favor, and a third want to find out more about it. Yeah. So I don't think we have been told a, a definitive no. And people, you can't say no until you know the information. And so now people have the information, and then they'll let us know whether they want us to go to a referendum. That's that's how democracy works, right? It's not just the loudest voices. It's not just a letter-writing campaign by a small number of people that influence decisions. You actually have to get the broad-based buy-in and the broad-based decision-making from all Albertans. And that's why if we move to a referendum, every single Albertan will get the choice. When will that decision be made? I think we'll get good feedback by May of 2024. That's when I think, uh, 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 I was going to call him uh, Treasurer Dinning because he used to be finance minister. Yes. But that's when uh, Jim Dinning is going to have his uh, his consultation complete. He'll have a pretty good idea by uh, 2024 whether or not we need to go to a referendum. And then we'll we'll make the decision at that point. All right. Ida is calling, on, uh, calling in from Edmonton on that very topic, Alberta Pension Plan. Go ahead, Ida. You're on with Premier Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith, and thank you so much for doing this program for us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Go ahead. I am calling because I think we need to go straight to a referendum. Unfortunately, people that are proponents of the APP, like myself, don't do polls. So I don't think it's an accurate reading, no matter which way you look at it. We should just go straight to the referendum and see what happens. Well, we have a little bit more education to do, I think, because the report just came out. And I think people are just getting a, a sense of, of how disadvantaged we are under the, the Alberta Pension Plan. So we'll go through the process. We want to make sure that people have a fair amount of time to be able to go onto our website, albertapensionplan.ca, look at the numbers, and uh, and then we'll we'll see if Albertans want to go to a referendum. It'll It'll be pretty clear by the first part of next year. All right, let's go to a text message now. Why are the extra charges on Alberta utility bills so high? They're trying to control grocery prices, but nothing on utilities. The high costs are not just the carbon tax. I can tell you, I have been uh, involved in, in lobbying and advocacy on changing how the electricity market works for many, many years. Uh, going back to my days at CFIB, uh, also with Alberta Enterprise Group when I was with them, and it was the, the one of the very first priorities I had when I became Premier. Uh, we have a new affordability and utilities minister, Nathan Newdorf. He has a comprehensive approach to how we're going to to change the market and be able to ensure that we've got long-term stability, we've got baseload power coming on, and that we can bring those rates down. Because what you'll see on your bill, there's a huge amount that has increased in utility charges for distribution and transmission. So think about that. Every single time a new wind farm is built, a new solar uh, plant comes on stream, uh, some of these small-scale projects, we have to build transmission lines to get to them. And sometimes the transmission line costs more than the farm itself. This is a this is not going to be sustainable. We can't keep doing that. And that's part of the reason why we are looking at not only the regulated rate option, which has become completely out of whack and is really hurting those who are most vulnerable, as well as the distribution and transmission charges, as well as the municipal franchise fees. I think you saw that even Calgary realizes that that's out of whack and how much they're charging municipal franchise fees. So all of this uh, is is part of the reason why we had to put the pause in place because we, we know that we need all of these pieces working together. But you saw that the pause was only for six months. That gives you a sense of our urgency on this. One thing I will also say is we do have... 
uh, because of, 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 of historic levels of approvals, we do have a few natural gas plants coming on stream in the early part of next year, which should moderate the, the rates, but we still need to make sure that we're building enough baseload power to keep up with our, our growth. So we, we've got a plan in the works and it'll be announced in the next few in the next few months. All right. Uh, Dave is calling in from Calgary uh, regarding parliamentary committees. Go ahead, Dave. You're on with Premier Smith. Uh, thank you. Good morning, Premier. Um, just a couple of items I'm hoping to uh, receive your comments on. Um, this is one that just came to my mind as I was listening, uh, but and, and I'll pause after. Uh, well, I'll just let you know what my couple of comments or questions are. Uh, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your new funding to allow for seniors to receive enhanced care in their homes and what services that might include. Uh, that's one question. And the other question I was hearing on the Shea Ganim program yesterday or Thursday this week that you were invited to appear in Ottawa before a parliamentary committee and then were uninvited for your appearance, Mr. Ganim said something to the effect of there there was no committee so you were not uninvited and and frankly premier this sounds quite confusing to me um and a little bit like the twitter or facebook quote-unquote ban that mr Gan mr ganim had said simply did not happen and i wonder if premier would comment or clarify on a what the parliamentary uh, committee invitation was and was not and and why that didn't come to pass and and be the correct if there is one characterization for the media media coverage on these two events but good morning sure happily let me finish with let me start with that one on october 5th my uh, energy minister brian jean and my electricity minister nathan neuterf received an invitation to testify at an october 17th committee meeting of the environment committee from uh, 12 p.m until 1 p.m and Rich Kruger from Suncor was going to testify at the same time. I have these level of specifics for Shea's benefit so that he knows that it happened. They asked us to respond by October 10th. I responded on behalf of Brian Jean and Nathan Newdorf because I think it's actually quite um, uh, rude for them to come and ask and summons my ministers who were responding with my direction under my mandate and not ask me. They didn't ask for Rich Kruger's VPs to come. They asked for him to come because he's the boss. So I answered on behalf of the government of, of Alberta. We had started sending over our documents. And then on October 12th, they said, oh, you're not invited anymore. They said it was because the Rich Kruger was no longer coming. But Rich Kruger is now actually going to appear on October 16th at a different committee. I'm waiting for my invitation. But they haven't uh, sent another invitation to the government of Alberta. So that's how it ended up going down. And you can't just invite yourself. Well, I have to tell you, um, I've spoken to many, many people who have been invited to testify at government committees, and they tell me they swap out all the time, that if you invite one person and they can't make it, they invite somebody else. They just, uh, they, they chose not to extend the invitation to me. I don't, uh, I, I can only con have conjecture as to why that might be, but I can tell you, I stand ready to go to Ottawa anytime to testify on behalf of our province and our right to manage our own natural resources and our own electricity grid our own way. So if they want to extend the invitation to me directly, I will take it. And if they want to extend an invitation to any of my ministers, I will accept it on their behalf. Now everybody knows. All right. Three questions on the text line here from uh, 630. Chad, these are all health-related questions. Premier Smith, uh, first one, what is the final cost to us for the DynaLife fiasco? Well, 
Dynalife, unfortunately, was a, a problem I inherited because the decisions had been made in the previous administration. And as I'd mentioned before, I think we had every reason to think that they would be able to do the contract because they were doing the they contract doing in, in northern Alberta yeah. and, and wasn't causing any problems. It uh, the, the rollout didn't go well. And it was creating way too many problems and they didn't have a clear pathway for how they were going to be able to to get it resolved. So by mutual agreement, we decided to uh, take it back over through Alberta Precision Labs. Uh, We want to make sure that as that transition happens, it happens in a a way that doesn't cause disruption in northern Alberta. We don't want to have now the opposite problem that now that Alberta Precision Lab is extending into an area they've not been in before. We don't want them to have the same problems that we saw in southern Alberta. But um, we've uh, we've got some more work to do there. I think my lesson on them has been that if you are doing an RFP and you only have one bidder, there's probably something wrong with uh, how you're structuring the deal because others should be more interested in bidding if it's going to be something that's mutually beneficial. So uh, the Auditor General has been asked to look into it. As I understand, he's announced that he's going to. So I think I'll I'll leave it at that. I don't want to interfere with uh, the process that he goes through and all of those costs will be known. But you know what I would say? What I was worried about is the costs if we did nothing. If if we did nothing and we ended up with additional overruns or had to subsidize the company several tens of millions of dollars each and every year, or we had to make additional um, uh, additional investments in order to be able to expand the lab for a private company, like all of those things were, would, would have been what the future looked like. So I felt like, do we cut our losses now and make sure we bring it back in before we have the disruption with another provider, or do we potentially face future higher losses by doing nothing. So it's, you know, it's a judgment call that you have to make. And what I have heard is that we're already beginning to see improvements on the on the service. And that was really what it's all about is we've got to get make, make sure that people get the diagnosis that they need because diagnosis is essential to getting treatment. And we just couldn't wait any longer. All right. Judy has texted in. The population has grown exponentially in Alberta, but the last hospital built in the Edmonton area was the Grey Nuns. Has the government done the math to figure out how many more hospitals we would need to accomplish accommodate the population. Very interesting. You should ask that. Adriana LaGrange is going through that process right now. Because part of what we've uh, we've observed is that we do have a lot of facilities. I think we have 106 facilities under Alberta Health Services. But we've got a, a number of, of those facilities where wings have, have been uh, turned over to long-term care or they have been mothballed or they're not in full operation. So one of the first steps we have to do is, is look at uh, an optimization strategy. How are we going to optimize the existing facilities we have? How are we going to make sure that patients are in the right place? So let's move patients who are in long-term care into appropriate long-term care facilities. That will free up some space. And then let's, uh, do, let's contemplate where we need to have those hospitals. I think it's pretty clear we need to have a new hospital in Red Deer. And the, pro- the, the planning on that is already proceeding. It is pretty clear that we need to have an, a stollery in Edmonton be standalone, much like our children's hospital is here. So I think that that case is pretty clear as well. And I think it's pretty clear that uh, we need to have a hospital in South Edmonton and one to as a companion to uh, the Peter Law Heat that will serve both the North, Northeast, Northwest, as well as Airdrie. So those are, are four that are pretty well defined. But I think the first step that we want to do is just make sure that we're optimizing all of our other facilities. And that ties into this next uh, 
text question from Camrose. I'm still wondering about AHS middle management overload. I'd love to see more frontline workers and less redundant middle management. Yep, I'm me too. <laughs> I said that as well. Look, I mean, I uh, I want any frontline worker to know that if they are delivering patient care and they are seeing patients, we are going to preserve every single one of those jobs. We need our frontline workers. I cannot make the same commitment to those who don't see patients and are pushing paperwork around and are creating layers of management. We we have to streamline that level. We have to make sure that there are more dollars on the front line for people who are delivering that uh, that absolutely essential interface of, of patient care. And that's going to be part of the proposal that uh, Adriana releases before the end of the year. Okay, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. -on -one. If you've got a specific question you'd like answered, you know the numbers. 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Just to let you know, we do have a, a full slate of phone calls and those text messages just keep coming in. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, I want to start off with this one. It's a health-related question, Premier Smith. This is a texter from on the Ched line. Uh, Premier Smith, I was wondering why the Alberta government is not covering the RSV vaccine for seniors. Cost, I think, is $399. Yeah, I, uh, we had to make a, an assessment of what is the... What is the most at risk that um, our our population is? And, and quite frankly, most are at risk of, of COVID. Um, so far, we have had uh, uh, 3,355 cases this year. We currently have 145 people in hospital and seven in ICU because of COVID. Um, influenza is also very, very dangerous. Uh, we've had, we have seven influenza hospital admissions at the moment. And with uh, RSV, we, we don't have any hospital admissions. And so we, we know that we, we have to make sure, because it's always um, an inexact science, you have to order a certain amount of uh, vaccines in a year, guessing how many people will want them. And if you don't use them, they get thrown away. So we know that we have a certain amount of people who will, uh, who will get both COVID and influenza, so it's a little more clear how, how many we should order. Not as clear on RSV, because it's not as, uh, as deadly, it seems, as uh, influenza and, and COVID. And so it's $300. I know it's a bit big hit, $300. But that's, I guess, the other point is, do you really want to order one and a half million RSV vaccines at $300 a pop and then have most people not take them? So I think that, that we're just trying to gauge that. People have it. It's going to be available to them. But um, we, we made the, the decision that we'll cover COVID and, and influenza, but, uh, but not RSV. All right. Don Smith has texted in from Edmonton. Good morning, Premier. Having looked at the Alberta Pension Plan website, I've noticed there's no discussion of what numbers the CPP board sees as their financial obligation to Albertans, as opposed to the very optimistic numbers that have been floated in Alberta government press releases. Why has the Alberta government not asked the CPP board for a hard calculation as to the dollar amount they see as being their obligation to Albertans should we sever ourselves from the CPP? That number would certainly aid Albertans in making a decision. Also, the CPP is independent of government who would manage an Alberta pension plan. Well, here's the thing. So Finance Minister Christian Freeland, I've asked my finance minister to uh, write her a letter and ask her to get that, that number for us. Uh, 
uh, we'd like to get an answer if they dispute our number. What do they think is the number? At this point, we don't have an answer. If they don't give us an answer, then it will have to go to the court to, for them to make a determination on the basis of what the uh, legislation says and what the assets are. So we have a, a certain process that we have to go through. We can't go to the court until we do our due diligence and in trying to get the answer, but that is in process because I, uh, by the letter of the law, by our entitlement based on our contributions and how they've grown over time, we're entitled to $342 billion or $334 billion. If they have a different number, I'd like them to come back and let us know, and then we can have that conversation. All right, two more text messages on the APP. Uh, if some Albertans, this is from Rob, if some Albertans wish to switch to the APP, that's their decision. The CPP for me is mine and mine alone to decide and not your party or a referendum deciding. It's mine to decide individually. Uh, as of today, no acknowledgement from my MLA. Well, I guess that's a, the question, and I and quite frankly, I don't know the answer to that, and I hope that Jim Dinning is able to come to the answer to that, that is it possible for those who want to opt in to an APP for us to be able to transfer them over, and for those who want to stay with the CPP, for them to choose that? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's all or nothing. Um, I, I suspect it is, and that's why we would have to make the decision through referendum, but I, you know, I appreciate that uh, some people are uh, very attached to the CPP, and they're attached to wanting to be part part of, uh, of it for a whole variety of reasons, and that's why it's such a, an, an important discussion for us to have. But we also have to think about the future, and is it fair that our, um, uh, that our, our young people are continuing to overpay year after year, uh, decade after decade, for a, a large amount of money to be uh, to be used elsewhere in the country is is this kind of program set up that is constantly going to put us at a disadvantage? Is, is that something that uh, that we should have our young people saddled with? I think that that's going to be the the question that we have in the upcoming referendum. That's why I'm leaving it to our our panel to to do the consultation, and we'll have a better idea in May. All right, another text message from Red Deer. I thought the UPC believed in less bureaucracy and red tape, but the proposed Alberta Pension Plan will need to build a brand new bureaucracy which duplicates the CPP, and we Albertans will have to pay 100% of the operating costs of that new APP bureaucracy. Right now, nine provinces and three territories that pay for the operating costs of the CPP. Uh, no matter what you say, the APP is going to cost us more to run than what we have right now with CPP. Well, I guess the way I look at it is that the CPP started off being very lean. And if you look at recent columns by even people like Andrew Coyne, who doesn't love the idea of an Alberta pension plan, he's very, very critical of the amount of bureaucracy and management fees that have built up around the CPP. So I don't know necessarily that having a, a single super board of anything necessarily results in administrative efficiency. Sometimes having multiple options actually keeps everybody honest and it keeps their management expense ratios low. I think that CPP, unfortunately, hasn't had that competition. And as a result, I think they've allowed things to balloon. So I, I just don't accept that we can uh, that we, we don't have the administrative efficiency to be able to do it better. That being said, there is also an option that we would keep it with the CPPIB Investment Board and just have it uh, segregated off with, uh, with, a, with a different management board. So that's another way of doing it as well. So there's multiple different models. I don't want to prejudge what the outcome is going to be. All right. Uh, Ken is calling in from Edmonton with an Alberta pension plan question. Go ahead, Ken. Uh, yes, good morning. I have a question. I've read quite a bit about the uh, proposed Alberta pension, but what I would like to know is, because as you're aware, the Canada pension is fully indexed to the cost of living. Is the Alberta pension proposed, is it going to be fully indexed to the cost of living? 
and that number comes out by Stats Canada in early November. My understanding is that the only way that, uh, and it's really in the legislation, that you have to provide equal or better benefits. And so we would we would structure it along those same lines. Uh, we've also demonstrated, because we have indexed our seniors benefit, we've indexed AISH and other employment programs, we've indexed our personal income tax system. I think that gives you an indication that we believe in indexing. And that so that would be, that would be my approach to take is that, you you have to uh, to be able to keep up with the, the cost of living, especially if we're going to have higher inflation rates for um, an, an extended period of time. I, I'm hoping that inflation rates moderate, but we've got to make sure that our most vulnerable citizens are, are always taken care of. So that would be the approach that we would take. All right, couple text messages. Uh, one from Edmonton. When will the Pfizer COVID vaccine be available? Health Services site now says it is, but when I phoned AHS, they said it's still only Moderna. I... You know what? I don't know if the answer to that. I'll see if somebody can send me a text. I might not be able to get it today, but uh, you can go online and you can register and sign up for an appointment. And when they are available, uh, they'll they'll be able to to let you know. I'm, I'm I'm monitoring here. No, I still don't see anything coming in. It may be something that I have to to uh, to address next time I'm on. All right, Paula is. Uh texting in from Ched. I'm disappointed the Premier didn't speak against threats to AHS workers when answering uh, about David Parker's ex-comment. You know what? I, again, I'm, not, I'm just not... Uh, go, go and ask people about their own comments on Twitter. I, I don't feel like I have to answer for every single comment on Twitter. As I said, I'll answer for mine, I'll answer for my government's, and I'll listen to all Albertans. But um, I'm, we don't have any any formal relationship with any advocacy group. My, my, uh, my marching orders come from Albertans. All right, one final text question before we wrap up the show today, Premier Smith. Why do, uh, Joe is texting in, says, why does positive change by the government take so long? Private business would go out of business doing the same. Well, you know, I've been actually encouraged by how quickly this, uh, many of our administration has been able to respond to some of the things that we've been asking for. The, where I feel the most excitement is in technology and innovation. We managed to bring through an affordability portal within two months of conceiving it and put uh, $100 a month payments in the accounts of millions of Albertans. We did a, uh, a very quick response when we had 38,000 people who were displaced and needed support during the fires. That managed to get up and running within a matter of days. And then more recently with the E. coli outbreak, we had uh, compassionate payments that were, and a portal set up within within two, uh, within two uh, 10 days. So I would say that I'm beginning to see real signs of innovation within our, our public service. And you're going to see a whole lot more of that because I, I want our public service to be the top performing public service in the country. I want, when people think of Alberta, I want them to think of high performance government because when they think of Alberta, they think of innovation and entrepreneurship. Why shouldn't we have innovation and entrepreneurship and pilot projects and new ideas and excitement in the delivery of public services. I, I think we're going to get there, and I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about it. Premier Smith, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Wayne. Premier Danielle Smith will be back for your province, your premier, on Saturday, October 28th. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.